podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system, DLS. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am here with Alfred. Hello, Lolo. I'm ready with some opinions. I am here with Matt. Hi, Pete. Uh, I think we'll go to Alfred first because I know that you've had to spend a torturous few days with uh, with your family. Is it is it is that torture? Come on, your family don't listen to this. Speak up. Uh, they do listen, or at least my cousin Albin uh, did listen before he came over, so that he could answer any questions about how great the pod is. Uh, it wasn't torturous at all. It was absolutely lovely spending Thanksgiving with your family in New York. I cooked a sixteen pound turkey, and it did. Um, it was it was quite juicy. Well, that's excellent news. Matt, how was, uh, how was your time? Very good. Very nice. Very relaxing. Saw uh, Jay-Z last night. Yeah. Center. Pretty good. Tell us about your sporting event that you went to see. Uh, the Nets play. Ooh, that sounds like basketball. Basketball, yeah. <laughs> Trying to slowly get into uh, American sports in the absence of being down the road from but go, uh, You know, the, the Nets... Uh, theatre or arena or whatever the fuck it is it's a very emirates like experience do you not feel like that when you when you go through it it is but it knows what it is it's like yeah we're gonna be like a soulless bowl but at least we're gonna get good beer good food uh look after people put a good wi-fi connection whereas the emirates pretends that uh it's still got some sort of soul to it but you know it hasn't really it has a bit of soul maybe two 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 games a season three games a season if you're lucky I, I went and saw my first American football game here in New York, actually. I went to see the Jets. Ironically, it's in New Jersey, and it's quite the Uber trip over there. Um, and that was not a pleasant experience in any way. It was freezing cold. It's long. Like, it takes about an hour to play 15 minutes, so it's a four-hour experience. It's a really terrible team who's the last team of their division, and pretty much any point scored, they had to had to do an official review, which took about, you know, two minutes to complete in order to tell the fans if they could celebrate a touchdown or not. So it was a delay on everything that happened. Uh, and the food was atrocious. We managed to get some uh, some cold crinkle fries with cold cheese sauce out of a pump. What about the Wi-Fi connection? They didn't have one. Oh, despicable. When I went to see the Jets... Uh, there's there's a train ride in, and I think it was pretty much direct. 
And I'm sure it was about 25, 35 minutes long. And there was a fight that started at the beginning of the train ride and it carried on for the full 35 minutes, like these three guys beating the shit out of each other. And I've never seen that um, going to Arsenal. So uh, that was uh, that was a little run through. Um, you've never been. You never walked down the Seven Sisters Road on the way to. A no, on, on the on the tube. I've never seen a fight. No, no, that doesn't really happen that often, does it? What fighting on the tube? No, uh, I don't think so. We're not. We're not that. We're not that thuggish. Uh, okay, well, that was a that was a, an epic start to the pod. Um, I think it's probably about time for Alfred's favorite part of the show. I love how you had a look at your watch when you said that as it would add a little bit of flair to it, forgetting that you're actually speaking into a microphone. But yes, it is time for my favorite part of the show. Matt, hit us with shirt number 33. Shirt number 33. Well, uh, fairly inauspicious bunch. In fact, this was the first time I've had to Google a player because I didn't have a single idea who this player actually was. That's the second player. The first player is someone who's probably done, he's probably, if you had to rate him in his Arsenal career, you'd probably give him a B, is uh, Peter Cech, who just always just feels like he's always going to be Chelsea, really, doesn't he? Yeah, it was a bit William Galassi. Yeah, he's, wow, he's spent too much time He's over been there. a bit more professional, but let's face it, he must just acknowledge that he's never going to win anything major and it's just a bit of a retirement. A bit, bit Mikael Silvestre. Oh. It is hard to be a legend when all of your best stats was for a different club. I think that's that's a very good point. It's also difficult to be a legend when you don't die for a penalty. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I I liked uh, I like that I like that. Yeah, he's never saved the penalty for us, and I like the stat that he's conceded twenty um, percent of his entire career goals at Arsenal. I thought that <laughs> that was quite a quite a nice stat. Uh, the second player. So this is this player I had to. Uh, had to do some research on, because we obviously take this podcast very seriously. A guy, can you tell me, if either of you can know anything about this guy, I'd be very impressed. His name is Matthew Connolly. Yeah, it's that actor, isn't it, in uh, True Detective? In EastEnders. <laughs> yeah. no. Uh, no, not really. I seem to vaguely remember the name, but I think it's because it's such a familiar British name. I probably went to school with Matthew Connolly. So he's 30 years old now. Yeah, and he has played uh, for. We've sold him to. We we he played for Arsenal in t- uh, two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Uh, we sold him to QPR, where he stayed for five years. Had a year at Reading, f- and then three years at Cardiff. A year at Watford, and he's currently uh, plying his trade as centre half for Cardiff City. Not, I mean, it's like it's a really like second tier career, but not a bad one. No, probably, probably loaded. Yeah, it's pretty, more money than us. Uh, the third player, well, this guy is a legend. Actually, no, he's a fucking waste of space. All those people <laughs> who, for some reason, are fixated on this guy. If I said one word, if I said, Lord. Bentner. Bentner. Come on, that is a ledge. He's, he's, he's got Champions League football. He's playing for Rosenberg right now. He did one. That, uh, I mean, that goal against Spurs is brilliant. Apart from that, he did fuck all. Uh, and yeah, not not a big fan. Uh, moving quickly on, Graham Stack, uh, sort of like 18th choice goalkeeper for a season. He gets a Millwall. Who knows? He may well have done. He may well have done. Then another player, another one who I'd never heard of. 
Two. So two in a shirt number, and this may become more and more prevalent as we work out the shirt numbers. This guy, do you, have you heard of this guy? Tommy Black. Oh, I remember Tommy Black. No, you don't. I do remember Tommy Black. He's the guy in Peaky Blinders? <laughs> Fucking hell, Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's uh, Tommy Black. Was he a forward? Was he a forward player? Like, way back, way back when, like 2000s? And that's not bad. He played for Arsenal in 2000 and he was a right midfielder. He's a right midfielder. And okay. we sold him to Crystal Palace. Then he went on to play for Sheffield United, back to Palace, Gillingham, Bradford City, South End, Barnet, and then Ooh. AFC Hornchurch, purely for the love of football. And, you know, if, uh, if Matthew Connolly had a second-tier career, what do you think of Tommy I, Black? I grew up near uh, Hornchurch, just down the road. I'm sure it was, it's owned by like some guy who's got double glazing background or something weird. Anyway, there's, good, there's some sort of good controversy around good it, knowledge. but, but uh, a very amateur team. Okay, so that is Tommy Black. And finally, uh, Gavin McGowan, promising player. Uh, <laughs> These guys sound like Bolton reserves. Is he Prom- the guy in the cause? Promising player. He, was, he never played for any other team other than Arsenal. But he was, he's 41 now. Uh, and nothing seemed to happen to him after 97, 98. I hope he's alive. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, a fairly... Uh, if you're listening... Yeah, get in touch. Get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, that's 33. I think we can move swiftly on with the rest of the pod. So it finally happened. We beat a top seven side away from home in an emphatic style, uh, taking, uh, taking the lead in the 91st minute out of a total 92-minute game. Uh, guys, initial reactions to, to a massive win of the weekend? I think it was a massive weekend and I really enjoyed it. My prediction in the last pod was a 1-0 goal by Burnley. And I think was, I said the 78th minute. So I I was fearing that I was going to be right there. And then I kind of remember the last time we got a late pen and I thought maybe it could happen again. And it did. And it was really fantastic. And I think the lack of creativity we had in that side and basically no one for the first like 60 minutes to break to break Burnley down I was impressed with that result and I I kind of enjoyed it well let's face it um Burnley are playing well they've had some great results this season it's always going to be a tough game um the game itself as, as from a spectator point of view was terrible I thought it was an absolute snooze fest and uh boring as all hell um, but we got the result, so we can look back on it now and be pretty delighted with the way the weekend turned out and with the other results, with uh, Spurs dropping points, Chelsea and Liverpool dropping points. Uh, it's, it, was, it was an opportunity for us to make up some ground and continue the feel-good factor because there was that moment in about 80 minutes when you're like, fuck's sake, uh, this basically makes us beating Spurs last week almost like we might as well have drawn against them. Yeah. Uh, and won this game, and it wouldn't have made any difference. But um, we did it, and hopefully this can be the start of some better away performances. I don't know what the difference is between our home and away performances because we've been unstoppable at home, and you know we were turgid. It looks like we could barely pass a ball. I thought. 
Yeah, I thought the first half we struggled to get to grips with it. It felt very sort of like Bolton, early 2000s, like getting shoved off the ball, getting beaten in the air, couldn't really get our bearings. And I I wasn't sure that we were going to respond in the second half, but we came out in the second half, our quality showed, I thought we passed really well. Um, I thought the introduction of Jack Wilshire brought us uh, up a level. Um and nicking a nicking a goal in the ninety first minute is the sort of it's the sort of result that gets celebrated as like title winning credentials. Now I know as an Arsenal fan that we're probably not going to be in the running for the title, but if you look at our form over the last few months, I don't know. It's like if if it was anybody else grinding out results like this, you'd uh, like you'd be you'd be throwing your name in, in into the ring. But um, because we know how the story ends. Uh, we know where it'll go, but like it's it's great to be able to enjoy us climbing the table. And uh, like you said, Matt, uh, my big feel was you you beat Spurs, uh, you beat Spurs two nil, uh, and then you they draw against West Brom, and then you like blow your opportunity to go above them. So I think from a psychological perspective, um, that was a massive, massive win. What's up with the Wobi? Like I think that was if I was going to pick one negative thing with the game was. Just Iwobi, I, I really continue to struggle to see what, what he brings. And as an attacking player, I, I didn't see a single forward pass from him in the first half, I think. I, I hope someone can prove me wrong. But every time he got the ball, it was just straight back to Jacka. He slowed everything down. Every time we could have counted, he just stopped it. Well, we know what Iwobi can do because what I think we want him to be as we want him to be the player who came on and was direct and scored that goal against Everton in his first proper start and we want him to be the kind of player who was just sort of floated so effortlessly in that win against Chelsea last season at the beginning of last season so we want him to be that player and he's shown in flashes that he can be um, but we certainly haven't seen it for a little while now he sort of got overplayed last season and then uh, he hasn't really recovered in, in, in some way so I agree, he's he's not been delivering in terms of performance. And then you look at the, uh, the, the I mean, the only excuse I can make for him is that Ozil was taken ill on the morning of the game, apparently. So maybe mentally he didn't have enough time to prepare and be part of the team in the build-up. But that's not really an excuse. And you look at the difference in impact that Jack Wilshire made when he came on. I know we're big Jack Wilshire fans, or I am, um, even though it's fucking stupid. Um, but... Uh, you look at the difference in impact, and that was a guy who's grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck, always looking for forward passes, always looking to make things happen, always putting up the ball to someone's feet, always causing people problems and making the defenders defend. And I thought, if, if, if he hasn't done enough now to get a game with two games in a week in the Premier League, he's got to start one of them. Yeah, do, you, do you not think that uh, maybe Awobi suffers from uh, the same sort of issue that uh, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain suffered from, and like maybe Theo Walcott to a certain degree. Like, give him one position and let him develop in that position. Like, I I kind of feel that he'd be good, like sort of replicating the sort of game that Alex Kleb had, or you know, maybe a sort of a less mobile version of Thomas Rosicki, like close control, keeping the ball moving, always, you know, like hack, I don't know, like just versus that coming in and trying to be Ozil. I, I, I just wondered how much that weighs on him. Like I'm trying to replicate 
the skill set of one of the the most talented creative midfielders in the world, and then he then he can't do it, and then he shuts down, and then a few things go wrong, and then he reverts to that sort of Danielson style crab passing that he does just to sort of puff up his stats. I wonder if Venga was like, Look, "You're just going to play this position," and also he's 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 kind of he's kind of young to take that responsibility on his shoulder. I understand that Jack doesn't really get asked to do any defending, though. It's a pretty good role, isn't it? I know, but I, like, should 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 he not be working on that side of his game? And also, if um, I understand why Jack Wilshere didn't start, because obviously there are fears about his fitness. But why not? Why not start him and take him off after sixty, I think and he, then bring on a Wobi when things are going well? I think he must start with uh, the um, with Huddersfield and United. It's going to be interesting to see. Surely Jack Wilshere is going to start one of those games, and he's more likely to start him, presumably the Huddersfield game. But I well, I, I think moving swiftly on to the the next topic, uh, what a topic that's intrinsically linked there. Uh, Awobi wouldn't have started if Meza Özil hadn't been ill. Like, firstly, how often does a footballer that gets fed, watered, and exercised? Uh, with world-class precision. Like, how often can you get ill? Um, secondly, he was so ill that he had to be taken home on the morning of the game, according to Arsene Wenger. Um, but you can you can guarantee one thing. He won't be missing for that United game when he's back in that shop window. You know what I mean? Like, is nobody getting the impression that perhaps playing against Burnley feels like the sort of game where you might get your leg broken and you might not get that January move? Like, is he starting to be selective about the games that he wants to play? And I know that it's a conspiracy theory, but like, let's not pretend that Wenger's word is gospel when it comes to injured players. Remember Almunia and that notorious broken finger that was never really broken? He was just not playing Almunia. I kind of, uh, I, I think that Meza threw us under the bus because it suits his career. As ill, my ass. Seriously, he is not ill. Like, he, he's not ill. Like, it's so easy to lie about injuries and everything. And I think illness is when the coach actually doesn't want to cover for him because something's going on. And, like, why? Like I'm sure he's he, he was down in Barcelona or whatever. But, and he's going to be out for Wednesday as well, they said. Um, so, I mean, I don't, what do you mean he's ill? Absolutely not. I think it's, I don't care. I think he, we're better off without him in tough away games where we need to grind something out. No, we're not. Like, he would have made a difference against Burnley, wouldn't he? I don't know. I think we need we need people who are hardworking, who are going to get the job done. We won the game. I but think we put Awobi in. What? We put Awobi in. <laughs> so, we've just been talking about how anonymous Awobi is. Like, I would have preferred to have anonymous that could open up a defence. Don't you think? Maybe, maybe. I, I, I don't think that the, uh, the really, really frustrating thing about both Alexis and Ozil is as much as you want to be like, sell them on, uh, we're better off without them. Like, the truth is we're not. <laughs> we're not better off. Like, I, I know that you two thought that um, Alexis had a good game at the weekend. But if you watch him, if you just watch the way that he moves at the moment, he runs when he fancies it, he gets involved when he fancies it, he sits in those half spaces. Like he was almost like dropping back into like that number 10 role. Uh, and then when, when play runs past him, especially if it's Aaron Ramsey, he doesn't follow the runs. I think he's uh, like he's a childish, frustrating brat who I love because he's so good. 
like that, that penalty finish at the end, like padded his stats. I didn't think he had a good game up until then, but we don't have somebody that can step in and do that. And likewise with Ozil, no one could destroy Spurs like Ozil did. But that, he has the most chances created in the Premier League this season. And we're saying that we don't need chances created. Like, of course we need him. Like, we, we absolutely do. I would say, like, after this Spurs game, we need Ursula more than we need Sanchez because where is the creativity? Against Burnley, like, where was the creativity? Where was it? Like, the first half was dire. And to see just Iwobi scared shitless every time he got the ball and Sanchez trying to create something out of nothing and poor Lacassette, who didn't get a pass. And where do we go? Where do we go to replace that? Because as much... Matt, as you love Jack Wilshire, he can't replicate Ozil. He's nowhere near. No, I'm not suggesting that Jack Wilshire is a replacement for Ozil. I'm, I'm suggesting that Jack Wilshire is knocking on the door to be starting Premier League games as a regular in our first eleven. Uh, that's that point. The second point was, if Ozil's going to miss games, I'd rather he missed Burnley and Huddersfield than he missed United. Because I think United at home is a real opportunity for us to get back in the title race, do some damage to a rival and build on our uh, impressive start at home. So it's not, oh, he's, you know, we always, it always tends to be one, one or the other. It's like Ozil's amazing or Ozil's shit. And like, that's just, that's that tendency to do that. And I'm saying Ozil's brilliant. And against Manchester United at home, I really want to see him play. Against Burnley away, the reality is we've seen him be anonymous in too many games like that. So was it that bad that he was missing? Probably not. And that's, that's it. Fair enough. But, and, and I mean, I want to, I just want to like, to your point about Man United, I'd rather us have Welbeck, Lacassette and Ursel uh, up front than an option with Sanchez and no Ursel. Because I think Ursel in those games, as you say, we are we're desperate for that for that creative player at the moment, especially with with Ramsey, who has a great season, but on an individual level, you never really see what he contributes to the rest of the team in those situations. I mean, people said that Ramsey had a great game against Burnley, uh, um, but I, I what? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't I don't know I don't quite know how the 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 myth of Ramsey happens. But he's got a tremendous work rate. Um, I think he presses incredibly well. But he doesn't He doesn't create a lot. Uh, like, I, I, that, I know that it was a difficult chance, but Lacazette teed up Aaron Ramsey really well with that beautifully in-swinging low cross. He should at least be hitting the target with that. I feel like he's a, he's a very good player, but he's not great, and I'm not sure whether he'll ever quite leap into great. And when you consider whose position he's taking up at the moment, Santi Gazzola. It's, uh, it's a bit of a worry going into to next season that he could possibly be our highest paid player if he has to sign a new deal, Aaron Ramsey. But to continue with the great puns, is Mustafi our only must? I mean, he's looked incredible, hasn't he? And the stats, you know, with or without, with or without him um, are quite extraordinary. Uh, we've let in one with him and 15 without him. Um, how are you feeling about Mustafi, Matt? I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, he's a young, aggressive, vocal German international centre-half who had a brilliant first half of uh, last season. And it coincided with us going on a long unbeaten run. 
And as his form fell away a little bit, our title challenge absolutely and totally disintegrated. So the hope is that uh, if you can keep Mustafi playing well, uh, that means the defence is much better, which means that we win more football matches. So I think you know a key to how successful our season is will be down to Mustafi, because there's no doubt that he is a lot, lot better than alternatives like Rob Holding, uh, Mertesacker, and God forbid, you know, some random wing back chucked in at the back. Not Monreal, because Monreal's great, but uh, Monreal, Koscielny, and Mustafi is clearly uh, the way to go. So five games, five clean sheets. That is pretty good. Right? I think um, my my favorite player out of that back three at the moment is Monreal. I feel like he reinvents himself more times than Madonna. That guy. Every time you think he's out, he's back playing in a in a, in a different position. I think the like he's a he's an absolute warrior uh, of a player, and I'm also very pleased about Mustafi. I totally wrote him off, but he's come back. What what I loved about him against Burnley is he fucking loved being in the mix, didn't he? He wasn't it, like people trying to rough him up at the start and that just riled him even more. And I think he's, I don't know, I feel like he's got a calmer head this season. He he he, he could have be, gone into that Vermalen rash, crazy territory, but I think he's like calmed his game down. I think he's got used to his team. Yeah, and yeah. I think your, your point last week, that he, he he just lost his confidence and now he's confident again. He looks like a proper player. So also like watching Gabriel uh, um, uh, the other night. Was he, did he play against Barcelona? Yeah. Anyway, like Gabriel, Martin Keown said, he's a really good player. And I'd heard from people at the club that he's a good player, but he just lost his confidence at Arsenal. And you wonder with the centre-backs we've had over the years, how many were shit centre-backs versus how many just lost their confidence in an unstructured Arsenal team? Uh, Stepanovs was definitely Scalacci. shit. shit. definitely Sc- shit. Scalacci made a Champions League final. Yeah. Played for France. Uh, didn't work out for him. Gallas. Uh, what, did he win a World Cup? He did win a World Cup. And then he comes to Arsenal looks like utter shite. Yeah. It's, where, mean, it's, where you, it's where centre-holes go to lose their confidence. It's like how many... How, how special... A defender must Koscielny be to have been so consistent and so brilliant over the years. Like, imagine if he was in a great team; he would have been one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, but it, imagine the luxury for Mustafa to actually actually have like Per Matzak there as a little bit of a mentor and and someone that he can feel really safe with. And I think he's actually working on his confidence as well because he knows he's staying at the club and is retiring at the club, and he's you know. I mean, an amazing guy, foremost. Like, in every interview I've seen with the current team, he's probably the smartest of them all. Who wouldn't want to hang around with the big fucking German? Yeah. So, we've had a couple of great wins on the trot, and we as Arsenal fans are doing what we as Arsenal fans do best, which is get very overexcited and begin to start talking about two very, very dirty words. Title challenge. (laughs) Pete? Is it on? Is it on? Is the title challenge back on? The, the title challenge is not on, but not for the reasons you might think. Oh. I, I think if you had this squad set up by a proper manager, and, and I don't mean in the sense of how it happens on the pitch, although that is often a problem. I think if you had a manager that had looked after those contracts in, uh, in, the, in the preseason and we had a bit more of a stable squad... 
I mean, we'd be we could be in striking distance. I mean, you look what's coming up next. If we have a good result against Huddersfield in midweek, which I I don't I don't think we're gonna have a problem at home with them. I think Man United are entirely beatable. Um, I think they look, they've been looking particularly drab over um, recent weeks, despite that good start. Then it's Southampton away. Uh, I think we'll be fine with them this season. They're not very good at scoring goals. Um, West Ham uh, away. They've been shy all season. Newcastle at home. Uh, Liverpool at home. Like then you've got Palace and West Brom, and then you've got the, like Chelsea in New Year. Like we can get through to New Year, and we should be in the top three. Like if we don't if we don't cock up and we're focused and we're thinking about the opposition and that defense holds out, we should be in striking distance come what January and you know, maybe Sanchez or Ozil sign a deal and there's a bit of a an excitement around. But like realistically, what's going to happen is we're going to get the most the optimistic I've ever heard. I know, but I think we're, I don't. I, I we are a top four team this season. Of that, there is no doubt. We will be in the top four this season. Um, the the question is, and the reason that I don't think that we'll be able to have any sort of title run outside of the obvious, Arsene Wenger is not an elite coach, is because I just think that Ozil and Sanchez in January are going to disrupt for a move. And then I think that's going to affect uh, camp morale. And then I think we'll have two months in the wilderness again. Uh, and then we'll think, ah, oh, if only those two had signed a deal. So I think, I think we've got a good enough squad to, to push on, I don't think that it's the right setting or atmosphere. And like, realistically, like we've all spoken about this at length, but we don't have the right coach to see it through uh, 100% in my opinion. I mean, first of all, I think we're, <clears throat> we're going to finish top six. I think that's realistic. I don't see how we are going to finish ahead of City, Liverpool, United or Chelsea. Uh, I can see... Um, no way that that we are that we are going to. Well, remember that. they're going to have the Champions League, and I think that does affect them, especially as it gets into more of a knockout phase. And I can't help thinking that. But the, I mean, if we, that if uh, if you get into sort of January and February, and Chelsea are still ten points off the pace, I could quite easily see Conte going all in on Champions League. And beginning to let that affect some team selections and stuff, and go, we're not going to win the Premier League, so let's go all in on Champions League. Chelsea L- has looked great since Hassard came back. They they really have. I like he was injured, and they looked bad, and look they looked like they missed. Yeah, Hazard. I'm, I'm saying I'm not saying yeah. they're looking bad or good. I'm saying if I think I could see Conte focusing on Champions League if he th- senses that there's not much chance of catching Manchester City. Liverpool are ill-equipped to deal with Champions League and league football. And Klopp has not, there's something not right there. There is still something not right there. Um, something about mentality or, I know that's... Or defence. <laughs> I've read an interesting article about them saying, uh, whenever they solve one problem, another one just crops up. You know? I, 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 I agree with you. I think uh, Liverpool look great in attack, but attack's not going to win you the league. And I think their defence is absolutely appalling. Uh, and they're, they're, I just think Klopp is an inconsistent manager these days i don't think he i think i almost feel like his energy is too crazed for him to get a consistent run i think chelsea uh, will be in the mix but we know that uh conte has had big fallings out with the ceo and he doesn't really mind letting that play out um if we're honest and also they're so dependent on hazard 
and he's quite an injury prone player. I think I think Mourinho's a dinosaur. He's good at grinding it out, but like that team doesn't look well. And then I think the the top teams in the Spurs. league. Spurs. Well, I, I think Spurs. Like to your point about Liverpool, I think Spurs sometimes tr- struggle to juggle that Champions League football, and they've been so lucky with injuries. They've been so lucky with injuries. Like none of their key players have had a major injury uh, in two seasons, and I think that that's definitely due. Um, and then you've got uh, Arsenal, yeah. So Arsenal, City, and Chelsea and Spurs. I think are that are that top four this season, in my humble opinion. Um, yeah, no, I, I respectfully disagree completely. Uh, but the other question is is the obvious one is is will City, who has had the best start to a Premier League season of any team ever will they start to crumble? And they actually have, this time around, the squad depth. Uh, if, you look, you could, if you look at their bench, that's what terrifies me this year. It's kind of what I feel like they didn't have last year. And the rotation that they have going on and the goals coming from players like Sterling and Sané and the fact that we're not even talking about Jesus and Aguero is incredible, the depth they have there. And Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne, yes, he's an incredible player, but he's been far from their only good player this season. And not to speak of like how tight have been defensively. Um, it will, it's weird to say that it looks, it has looked worrying with Stones actually being injured. I never thought I would say those words, but he, he was really solid at the back. Then they had company to come straight back in. Um, so, I mean, I don't think they'll crumble. I think they will have uh, a legendary season. Well, I think, um, I mean, watching them reminds me a fair bit of watching our invincible teams, to be honest, because they just look like a team with all the belief in the world who can concede two and still come back and win 3-2. They're playing swashbuckling, attacking football. They've got enough solidity at the back. But that's what gives me hope, which is eventually they will lose. And, you know, the Invincibles, we were lucky to go as long as we were unbeaten. There were games when, you know, Van Nistelrooy uh, hit the bar with a penalty and we had a Perez handball and all these were 3-0 down against Middlesbrough and managed to get it back. And um, my hope and expectation is that Manchester City will lose a game eventually. And I think that when you have felt unbeaten and then suddenly you lose and you lose that aura of invincibility, it can take some time to recover. And it feels like a, a real, real low. And we saw it when, when we lost uh, and the impact that it had on us and we didn't go on and win the league again the year after. And my hope is that, um, that when they do lose, it has an effect and it allows uh, the rest of the pack to catch up over a few games and breathe some life into the title race. See, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, can't, I, I feel that that's a uniquely Arsenal problem. It's always been an Arsenal problem, that, well, under Wenger anyway, that they can't recover from any sort of shock or surprise throughout Wenger's tenure. When we collapse, we really collapse. Everything falls to shit, right? Like, whether it's like post-winning uh, stuff, uh, and then we'd get to February and we'd be out we'd be out of all of the competitions in one week, or whether it was pre and you know Ryan Giggs would do that to us at man United, and then everything would crumble um you know everything would crumble around that shocking moment um I, I think Pep Guardiola is too prepared, too intense, and too thorough um for him to be troubled by one loss when they're playing really well. I think 
the challenge that Man City are going to have to deal with is when they start losing key players to injury. We know that Pep is like incredibly intense. Um, he had injury problems at Bayern Munich. Uh, he's He didn't really have too many injury problems at Barcelona, but in his bad seasons, he did. He runs that team ragged. Uh, and I just wonder whether he's going to be able to maintain the intensity through the season where he's going to rotate properly. And then what happens when you lose your key defenders? Uh, like how does how does that impact with the players coming in? But I, I think it's going to be, I think it's a big ask for them not to win the league, but I think it's going to be interesting all the same. So it's the end of the show. It's been a, a very good one today. I think a lot of uh, strong positive energy out there uh, maybe it's because katie hopkins got fired by the daily mail and deleted all the tweets maybe it's because arsenal are winning i think it's probably arsenal are winning no it's because prince harry is getting married oh, oh that's it that's so true yes we are all very happy uh but will that translate into predictions matt uh i think we're gonna beat huddersfield uh, fairly comfortably, 2-0. Uh, I don't think they've got enough. Uh, and we're good at home. And then I, I think we're so much better than Manchester United, but I think it's going to be a draw. I think it's going to be a really horrible game because I think Mourinho will come and aim not to get beaten. But hopefully I'm wrong. But four points out of six, I'm predicting. Alfred, what are you predicting? I think that was some excellent predicting from Matt. I'm not sure what I could add to it, really. I do think that the Man United game could be interesting. And there, there is starting to mount pressure on Mourinho. And Wenger knows how to wind him up. So if we see some, um, some media action from Arsene, I think we could, we could maybe get to them. And that could be exciting. But Huddersfield also like you know it's that part of the season now i'm a little 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 bit worried if we score the first goal on sunday we should be fine i think we're gonna beat huddersfield 2-0 jack wilshire is gonna play uh he's gonna bring back memories of barcelona uh when he was 18 years old we're all gonna get really really excited and then i think the united game i have a very good feeling about that and just having these like visions of danny welbeck smashing it into the roof of the net with his head. So I think the uh, I think it's going to be six points for us. I think that this we're going to get like there's going to be peak excitement because then it's a run of really easy games that we've got through December and our, look, our hearts are going to be broken so badly this year. So I think we're going to carry this on for a long time. Uh so I think I think it's going to be six points. The only way I can be heartbroken from this season I think is is finishing eighth. I kind of like that, that this is the first year that I, that I will not be sad. Well, uh, on that uplifting note, I think we're going to say goodnight. Thank you for joining me on this joyous show. Thank you, Alfred. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Pete. the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. 
Peacock Original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson, in theaters and streaming only on Peacock Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.